Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, friends. This is Matthias Roberts, and you're listening to Queerology, a podcast on belief and being. This is episode four. Liberation is this radical move toward toward a flourishing in deep ways whose politics are expressed in counter-normative ways. I mean, it is, you know, liberation is, a, is an affront to the logic of the norm. Dr. Robin Henderson Espinosa is an anti-oppression, anti-racist, non-binary, transgressive Latinx scholar, queer activist, and public theologian. They hold a PhD in constructive philosophical theology and ethics, and their research was in uh, the domains of ethics, uh, ontology, and epistemology uh, for the study of religion and philosophy. Uh, Dr. Robin does a really good job and is, and is deeply committed to translating uh, like big ideas and theory into practice uh, as a way to kind of reimagine our moral horizon uh, into one that, that privileges uh, a politics of radical difference. Uh, and, and we get into that a little bit. Um, Dr. Robin is currently working on a new book called Activist Theology, uh, of which there's a Kickstarter for. Uh, we talk about that near the end of the episode. Uh, and their work is really focused on taking uh, liberation theology uh, and queering it uh, into this new term that Dr. Robin coined as activist theology. It's fascinating stuff. Uh, we dive deep in this episode, uh, so uh, put your thinking caps on. And I don't even know if people say that anymore, but if you have a thinking cap left over from when people said that, dig it out and put it on. Uh, and oh my gosh, that just that just that derailed me. <laughs> uh, let's just dive into it, <laughs> Doctor Robin. Thank you so much for joining me today. Sure. Yeah. Glad to be here. So to start, um, question I ask everyone, how do you identify uh, and how has your faith formed that identity? Such a complicated question right? in complicated <laughs> times. Um, you know, my identity is really shaped in large part um, by my commitment to radical difference mm. and the politics of radical difference. Mm-hmm. And we may get into that later, but just very quickly, um, my my identity really um, is informed by a Nahuatl term, um, and that term is nepatla. Mm-hmm. And nepatla means it has it has different definitions. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it could mean in the middle, or it could be in between. Mm-hmm. And there are other there are other definitions of that Nahuatl term. And per in particular. The the I occupy the space of in betweenness, mm. both as a mixed race Latinx born of a Mexican woman out of this country mm. and an Anglo father, and then also this in betweenness of being a non binary trans person, mm-hmm. a, a trans queer person. Mm. So 
in betweenness very much is my jam mm-hmm. and it shows up in my scholarship of um, being in between both philosophy and theology and and really addressing the gaps in in our theology and ethics and the mm-hmm. discourse there. And so this this term in between or in betweenness shapes both my gender identity, my sexual identity, my politics, and my commitment as an academic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I've been over the past couple of days just kind of reading through a lot of your work. And uh, there's this quote that I pulled out that I feel like if if I'm reading your work well, I hope kind of wraps like wraps things up uh, in in a pretty good little soundbite. And I want to read it and then wonder if we can maybe uh, work on unpacking it a little bit. Sure. Um, yeah. Sure. Yeah. So you write the entanglement of matter and our relationality to matter is important to the radical flourishing of all things. If we want to take liberation seriously, we cannot localize it as a particular anthropocentric reality. We must advocate for the radical liberation of matter and the moments of radical difference that emerge in the liminal or borderland spaces that are rooted in difference and becoming. We cannot work for the radical flourishing of all things unless we also think about our collective liberation. And the struggle for collective liberation is both human and non-human. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering if you could maybe talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean... um... I I mean, so let me say two things first. Yeah. One is I've been deeply formed by um, by a phrase that that will seem a bit normative, but but I can unpack it mm-hmm. as we get into conversation. But I've, I've been deeply formed by by my professor uh, under whom I studied in seminary. Um. So, so I'm a bit of a closeted systematician, right? Okay. A closeted systematic theologian, yeah. even though the work that I do is deeply constructive and right. philosophical and like radically queer. Right. But at the end of the day, right, I, I go to bed like I think it all fits together, mm-hmm. right? Like that's sort of my thinking. Mm-hmm. And when I talk about liberation and I talk about and I raise up the speciated divide, mm-hmm. and that is that it should not be anthropocentric, right? That mm-hmm. it should not be human centric. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think about this as, and, 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 you know, a liberationist phrase is the reign of God. Mm. So I want to hold on sort of bracket that phrase, but hold on to it mm-hmm. as, you know, maybe we could rephrase it as the reign of the eternal spirit. Mm. And when we think about liberation, it, it's not bound up. I mean, it is, it is about black and brown freedom yeah. from the logic of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. But we know also that um, white supremacy has a parasitic relationship with Christian supremacy. Mm-hmm. And if we don't begin to talk about the ways in which our faith practices impact the earth and mm-hmm. impact humans mm-hmm. and the ways in which we treat um, animals well, mm-hmm. like in our eating practices, how we harvest animals, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we will not achieve collective liberation. And mm-hmm. so, you know, 
this this sort of um, I mean, so the earlier question he asked is, how did my faith form my identity, which I didn't really answer, and mm-hmm. but I can sort of point to it here is, you know, I w- for seven years I was a vegetarian in seminary. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't, it, I wasn't in seminary all that time, but from 2002 to, to until I started my PhD program when I found free range meat in Colorado, mm-hmm. I, I was a vegetarian. Mm-hmm. And I was a vegetarian for theological and ethical reasons. Mm. I was a vegetarian because I I I, I believed that um, any killing was wrong. Mm. That we could not justify any sort of killing. Mm-hmm. And and so my so I I wanted to externalize my internal theological values and the ethics that that I sort of harbored mm. around this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And so I believed. I believe then, as I do now, in making little moves against destruction, mm. and 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 some of that shows up in how well we are human with one another, and how well we are in relationship with all matter, with the entanglement of matter. Right. 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 So, you know, my dissertation was on the materiality of bodies, and was really a conversation uh, between Gloria Zadua, who's a Chicana feminist queer uh, theorist, mm-hmm. who has long since passed, but. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been deeply formed and shaped uh, by her work. So my dissertation, you know, all 250 pages was was in conversation of her and like the history of materialist philosophy. Yeah. And I and I picked certain thinkers and I what I did was I I traced the concept of becoming because I think becoming is central to our understanding of entanglement of matter. Mm-hmm. It's also central to how we how we conceptualize liberation. Mm. And if we don't conceptualize liberation, like liberation is not an event. Like it's not going to happen tomorrow, for example. Right. We will have microcosms of liberation, but like collective liberation is is what I call part of this ontology of becoming, right? Mm-hmm. It is it is a particular reality of becoming that that involves a particular orientation to all of reality, mm-hmm. which is material. Mm-hmm. So um so if we go back to this idea of the reign of the eternal spirit, right? Right. We we have we have very we are asphyxiating ourselves in in our theologies of white supremacy and our ethics of white supremacy. What what I have been talking about is a logic of dominance. Right. And when we live out this logic of dominance, whether it is um, in immigration policies or whether it is reducing. Uh, welfare to the margins of the margins, mm-hmm. um, those who are most impacted by by the sovereignty of the white state. Mm-hmm. When when we when we don't leverage our collective power, what we do is we reify um, the logic that is death dealing mm. that minimizes our ability to achieve collective liberation that then forces us to have not these relationalities of flourishing radical deep flourishing mm-hmm. but but it forces us into relationships that then mimic the dominant culture right. does that make sense it does yeah yeah it does make sense in uh, you, you've written about this, I think, a fair amount, and you highlight this particular difference between equality and liberation. Right. Uh, that there, that this kind of quest for equality among LGBTQ queer people, uh, I, I think, 
falls into that kind of system of domination in itself. Um, whereas liberation is a, is a different thing. Um, yeah. I mean, I've been pretty critical about, about the equality movement mm-hmm. and in particular, what has re- the sort of goal of the equality movement being marriage mm-hmm. Um, what we what what has historically been called gay marriage, right, yeah, or marriage yeah. equality? I I think that if if the LGBT movement and and I make a distinction between the identity based movement and queer justice, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So if the LGBT movement is so tied to marriage equality, um, I what I hear in that is a particular capitulation to white supremacy mm. in the institution of marriage. Mm, mm-hmm. And I think what we know is that that is not, marriage has not been everyone's salvation. Right. Right. It, it has served a particular and dominant group. Mm-hmm. Right. And we have to remember that, that e- marriage equality was, was really funded by four cis white gay men. Mm, mm-hmm. Four. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I think the, the internal conversation in the movement really needs to think about what logic they are leveraging and and how we cannot asphyxiate in the logic of equality because the logic of equality does not is not equal to liberation right like right. it is not parallel to liberation right Li- liberation is this radical move toward toward a flourishing in deep ways whose politics are expressed in counter normative ways. I mean, it is, you know, liberation is a, is an affront to the logic of the norm, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, When we begin to humanize uh, working class people, when we begin to humanize those who are most impacted by multi-system oppressions, that is not about, that is not about equality. Right. Right. That, Mm -hmm. That is a deep move of reparations mm-hmm. and and a move toward collective liberation, but um, but we're not there yet. Right. Yeah. I'm thinking about you're, you're using the word radical flourishing, uh, and I'm curious if you could maybe go into what is flourishing. Like, I, th- I think, you know, I think I have a felt sense, a felt sense of flourishing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think we don't talk enough about this, mm-hmm. about what flourishing is. Um, partially because we are all entangled and often capitulate to neoliberal capitalism. Yeah. And, and we think that more consumption and we think that um, more, like the more that we commodify and the more we have access to, the more we flourish. And I think what psychology has has been telling us is that uh, the more things that we accumulate and the more that we consume actually diminishes our quality of life. Mm-hmm. And so I really advocate for um, a simpler life, which which is uh, which is a sort of theological orientation, really, mm-hmm. and an ethical orientation. Um, um, uh, an orientation toward simplicity and also an orientation toward community. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, white America in particular 
has been oriented toward a particular expression of nuclear family. Mm -hmm. And when we think about, you know, a couple, two people in particular, a couple, a child and a dog that we have been told by religion, by, by Christianity Mm -hmm. that when we find a mate and, and reproduce, we will find our deepest happiness. And I, I think that's a myth, right? I think that is, um, I I just think it's just not right. Right. Um, and, and this is part, I mean, heteronormativity, heteronormativity and homonormativity is, is mirroring, is emulating the logic of the norm. Mm Mm-hmm. And if, if, if what I believe is true, which is the logic of the norm will always fail us, mm. then what that also means is that we will not experience this deep, most radical flourishing in that frame. Mm. And so I, you know, I really think that radical flourishing commences, it begins in community. Mm-hmm. And it begins with being unified in our deepest differences. Mm. Yeah, and that, I mean, that that idea of interrelatedness, of being in community, like, I think, you know, that's something that I think in a lot of our Christian churches, we talk about, like, community and community groups and that and those kind of things. And yet, I think what I'm, I'm hearing from you is this idea of community and interrelatedness is vastly different. From. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think that I mean, so so much of my understanding of community really is informed by my own orientation as a Latinx person right. and my relationships with people of color, and the ways in which people of color make family. Mm-hmm. It it is it is it is not how white folks make family, right? right, right. And so, I think about um, shared intimacy with people who are family to me. These are the people who enable me to live out my call and vocation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's hard work, right? It, and it doesn't happen overnight, I, I will say. Right. Uh, community is so much a part of companionship. Mm. And companionship is a journey. And that shit takes a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And and I think it, you, as, as white people, we've been enculturated into this understanding of like individualism and our own self-agency, uh, which I think is almost in direct opposition to this idea of community that I'm hearing you talk about. Would you say that's true or? Yeah. I I am real suspect of hyper individualism. Yeah. I'm also really suspect of, white people just collecting POCs yes. as friends mm-hmm. because I, I think the process of collecting POCs when white people do that, it is, it is not that, that, that process of collecting people is not, I don't think um, rooted in a deep commitment to black and brown liberation. Mm-hmm. I think that is about, um, an ability, to, an ability to position yourself in relationship with people of color, mm-hmm. and and not in relationship to the process of liberation. And mm-hmm. so, and I think white folks are not conscious of that, right? Mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. I think when fi- when white folks um, 
when white folks decide, you know, they sort of have an awakening and they want to do justice work, um, I think for many people, for many white folks, the best thing they know how to do is just become friends with black and brown folks. Right. And I think I I think that I mean that's just not good enough, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, that's not a divestment in white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not that is not beginning a journey mm-hmm. with with those who are most impacted by systems of dominance. Mm-hmm. And I think what I'm interested in when I talk about community, and I I talk about community of radical difference. Right. Um, I'm not talking about a community of homogeneity. Mm. I, I'm talking about a community of deep heterogeneity, of deep difference, mm-hmm. right? Of mm-hmm. difference rooted in difference, which is which is why I continue to bridge with white folks, mm. and which is why I continue to really, you know, like so much of my my work is, and like my friends would would laugh at me when I say this, but it's it's recognizable to folks when I say so much of my work is around a ministry of accompaniment. Mm. And, and being on a journey with people, mm-hmm. and and that doesn't mean I don't get frustrated, or that doesn't mean I I don't have boundaries. But what it does mean is I I am living out my values of radical difference and the politics of radical difference in the act of bridging with radical difference. Mm-hmm. And and if and if if we if we as POCs and queer folks, um if we don't figure out how to leverage our own agency within community across lines of difference, mm-hmm. not to say that we are capitulating to white supremacy, I'm not saying that, mm-hmm. but if, if we don't collectively figure out how to build bridges across lines of difference, mm-hmm. um, not that separatist moments are unvaluable, but we, I, I believe so deeply in community. And so, you know, white folks, you know, I, I often talk about, you know, white folks need to get in formation and need to stay in their own lane and also need to participate in b- bridge building, which in large part is about divesting from white supremacy mm-hmm. in like deep ways. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So and 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 the real the real call to to all of us for collective liberation is to figure out how to be community with one another and. And not a community of homogeneity, but a community of radical difference, mm-hmm. which, which is not about flattening out our differences, and it's not about um, relinquishing our particularity, but it is about finding our finding our common value as material beings who who um, who embody an orientation toward freedom. Mm. And shifting that toward building relationships that accumulate over time mm-hmm. so that we can achieve collective liberation. Mm. You're, so you're talking a lot about this this bridge building idea. And I think that's something that a lot of us as queer people can identify with. This idea of building bridges with people who don't understand, are hostile, may not even be aware that they're hostile. I'm curious how... How, when you're when you're making this choice to live a life of bridge building, mm-hmm. how are you taking care of yourself within that? Yeah, it's a great question. Mm-hmm. Um, so I take a siesta every day, like okay. literally, mm-hmm. I take a siesta every day. 
and my people know that I take a siesta. So, you know, um, it's like when I'm with my people, mm-hmm. they know that at some point I will take a siesta. And, and really that is about at least for one hour mm. in, in the day mm. for one hour, I put my phone on, do not disturb. I lay down in the bed, mm. like under the covers. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I rest mm. and it's, a, it's, it's, it is one of the most peaceful times of, of my day, really. Mm-hmm. So I care for myself in that way. Um, the other way I care for myself is, I, I mean, I'm in deep relationship with with the women at Faith Matters Network, mm-hmm. uh, Reverend Jennifer Bailey and our Director of Healing Justice, Mickey Scott Bay Jones. And, you know, they are family to me. Mm-hmm. And so... I talk with them every day throughout the day. And so when, when I know that those, those relationships, I mean, when I engage with family like that on an ongoing basis, Mm -hmm. it buoys me, Mm -hmm. you know, and you know, I have a handful of other folks that, that keep me afloat and, and that I talk with, but, but I, I really have to say that, that the the everyday siesta and, and being in constant conversation with with really my movement partners, right? Mm-hmm. With my partners for liberation, both Mickey and Jen, um, they they are able they they see me in a way that that others don't, partially because you know we work together and right. and we're in deep relationship and so forth. So that's how I take care of myself. Um, the other thing that I do, which which is a bit of a spiritual dis- discipline for me. Mm-hmm is um as I journal every day mm-hmm. and I've really I've really seen my journaling uh, you know I was telling someone this past weekend that you know when my journals are discovered they're gonna learn a lot about my interior life yeah. and and there's something about my journaling is a form of resistance to the academic writing that mm-hmm. I have to mm-hmm. and and there's something poetic about my journaling. There's something really raw about my journaling. And there's there's something, I mean, I kind of feel like my my practice of journaling and the sort of the everydayness of writing mm-hmm. um, is is really about prayer in many respects. Mm-hmm. And, and really asking, I, I live with a lot of doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think really writing out the what ifs and the hows and the whys and really, really digging deep into that, mm-hmm. into that psychology of why mm-hmm. um, has been another form of self-care um, because it doesn't have to go anywhere. And, right. and for 20 minutes I can sit and write and, and really write my heart, if mm-hmm. you will. Mm-hmm. And, and, and really find a, I mean, I, so this weekend I was having a conversation in, in the mountains of North Carolina and I was telling this person that um, from, I'm a thinking person, right? I'm an academic. So I sort of privilege thinking over feeling, mm. you know, but I've read enough psychoanalysis to know that the most whole integrated self is one that is integrated with thinking and feeling. And, mm-hmm. and I'm two years out of defending my dissertation and, and I, you know, I, I was commenting this weekend how good it has been for me to to be done with that yeah. and to be do to be like living out my call and vocation 
in ways that is deeply rooted in activism, but is definitely shaped by my commitment to the discourse of theology and ethics. But, but what the two years has given me is an opportunity for me to deeply integrate thinking and feeling in, mm-hmm. in new ways. And so the journaling has been a part of, of that self-care process. Yeah. Those sound like such deeply grounding practices mm-hmm. uh, that I would imagine fill you back up again so you can move out into those roles of yeah, I mean, you know, yourself. I'm on the yeah, I mean, I'm on the road all the time, right? Right. And and let me say that my my process of self care is deeply is deeply influenced by being in community. Mm-hmm. You know, like I have people who check in on me who who ask, "Have you taken a siesta?" Right? Mm-hmm. Like there, I have an accountability. I have a community of accountability. Um, who check in on me and and make sure that that what I'm saying in public, right? That mm-hmm. I take a CS every day, that that is backed up with actual evidence, right? Right. right. So as as much um, as much as I, I mean, I love my alone time, but I'm not a recluse, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm an introvert, but I'm not a recluse, and and so much of my self care practice is deeply ingrained in community and. I, I mean, I just, I, I don't do this work alone. Mm-hmm. Um, before I write anything, it's, it is talked about in community with folks. Mm-hmm. Um, before I make any decision on a gig, it goes before my discernment committee, right? So, I, you know, I'm grounded because I have a, a wide network of people who are shaping me to do this work. And I do so from a deeply grounded place that who, like, and my vision remains like deep collective liberation because of that. Right. Yeah. Mm. It sounds like you have so many people who are able to hold that imagination alongside you and and keep you into those that place of of doing what you're doing. And yeah, uh, I mean, you know, fi- finding your people is is a thing that yeah. people should do. Yeah. And and uh, you know, a lot of people a lot of people don't don't have don't know who their people are right and i would say in many respects uh the church the church has been the perpetrator of that for yeah. lgbt folks oh yeah that there has been such an ostracization of of lgbt and queer folks that now our community is so is living in a in a diaspora with with no with no ability to belong right and and that that is a great sin of the church. Mm-hmm. That is a great sin of the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think for so many of us, we feel isolated, and mm-hmm. you know, I think I think even for a lot of people who listen to this podcast, like you know, some of us you know live in in big cities and have great like groups of people around us, but I think there's so many people who they're the only queer people they know who are walking right. this journey of being queer and of faith. And right. it's really hard to find those groups of people right. when the church is so focused on making sure we don't know about other people like us. Right. Um, right. Yeah. And you know, when I, when I talk about our deepest, most radical flourishing, mm. I am talking about assuaging the the great sin of belonging that the mm. church has perpetuated, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. 
I, I, I mean, I think a lot of things about how the church should be. I mean, I think, I think we should be doing church in, in different ways mm-hmm. that, that, that really, that really meet those who are most impacted by systems of dominance. Um, and I think I was just, I just had lunch with someone today um, here in North Carolina, you know, where I, where I said to him, I said, you know, the churches we know it today going on a Sunday, that, that is such a, a mirror of like normative living. Mm. What, what happens to opening our homes mm-hmm. and open and, and, or making the church a community center for people to come and gather on their own terms, mm-hmm. right? Like, like we, we have so institutionalized religion. We have so institutionalized Christianity that now we have particular norms and values mm-hmm. that must remain intact for us to quote unquote do church. Well, right. you know, the politics of radical difference is all about unhinging from the logic of the norm mm-hmm. and reimagining our values. One being rooted in community and, and, you know, I'm, I'm much more about church being Sunday brunch where folks come over and we open our homes and, and we, we share a meal together right. and, and we, and we centralize this being with one another that is about belonging, right? Mm. That, 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 that becomes the radical contours of belonging and, and our people need that. Mm-hmm. Our people desperately need that. Absolutely. So you're working on this new project, this new book uh, yep. called Activist Theology. Uh, and you mentioned, so you're doing a Kickstarter for it. Yep. Um, I'll let you yep. tell us about that a little bit. But you mentioned in, in that Kickstarter video that your goal in this book is to radicalize and queer liberation theology into what you call activist theology. Yeah. Uh, so liberation theology, I think we're, we're using this term for people who aren't necessarily familiar with what is liberation theology? And I know we're pretty far into the episode to even define that, but yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, sure. And then how you're taking that, um, cause it's born of a particular movement and, yep. and queering it. Um, yep. yeah, I'm all kinds of curious. So yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, uh, let's see, let's start with liberation theology. Yeah. So liberation theology, um, really the, the father of liberation theology are, are some priests from Latin America. Mm-hmm. Um, Clodovis and Leonardo Boff mm. and Gustavo Gutierrez mm-hmm. and, and, and others, of course, to John Sobrino, et cetera. Um, it's heavily male mm-hmm. identified and largely Catholic, but liberation theology was a movement that really started after the council of bishops meeting in Medellin, Colombia, mm. where, where they talked about, the need to address the class disparity mm-hmm. in in our churches, really, mm-hmm. um, and to begin to offer, quote unquote, offer. And remember, this is a Catholic context, so mm-hmm. the so the priest is sort of the bearer of God mm-hmm. to offer the gospel to marginalized people, mm-hmm. m- mainly the poor. Mm-hmm. So. Liberation of theology had, um, you know, it grew in, you know, the 70s and 80s and 90s and addressed, um, had a deep class analysis and Marxist orientation in the theology. Um, many of these priests were, 
were silenced and liberation theology was condoned by the Vatican. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 you know, it's it liberation theology, the liberation movement in Latin America, Central America in particular, um, is akin to um, our 1960s civil rights movement mm. that that was also addressing um, class mm-hmm. and the issue of poverty. Mm-hmm. What we know about both of those movements is that there is a poverty of sexuality and gender yeah. in those movements. Mm. And what I mean by that is that, I mean, we do hear about the one, you know, the one person, the one female, one woman who may have had a voice, but it was a very minimal voice right. and not at the front. Mm-hmm. But, but So what we know about these two movements is that they it privileged a discourse around humanity that looks very male-centered mm. and male-dominated. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, even, even in the farm workers movement, you know, you, we herald Cesar Chavez, mm. but we, but, but what we don't realize is Dolores Huerta was just as important mm. as, as Cesar, right? Mm-hmm. So this is patriarchy, right? This is, right. this is, um, hetero patriarchy bullshit in right. many sense. And so, um, what I see happening now in protest movements is is um, they're trying to address the gender disparity mm-hmm. and and the patriarchy of it, right? Mm-hmm. So what we have in the Black Lives Matter movements, BLM, um, are three queer women mm-hmm. of color mm-hmm. who are who have been really shaping that discourse. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we see in North Carolina. In particular, in the HB two um, bathroom bill, which is now you know has a new number and whatnot, but when HB two was happening, um, what we see are trans women of color um, being at the forefront of some of these conversations. Now, mm-hmm. not always recognized, right? So there's still mm-hmm. an issue there, mm-hmm. but but on the ground, what we have here it, it are women of color, queer women of color, trans women of color, doing doing the labor. Mm-hmm. And so, um, activist theology is is uh, an an intention. It is an orientation and a deep intention to address the theology and ethics of our social movements. In particular, mm-hmm. Ferguson, Baltimore. Um, you know, the most recent uprising in Baltimore, mm-hmm. Charleston, mm-hmm. and you know, Mother Manuel, mm-hmm. um, HB two, and you know, now all all other states are getting these bathroom bills, right? right. So. So it's it's an attempt. It, so it's an attempt to address the theology and ethics of our social movement. Mm-hmm. It is also an attempt, um, and I, you know, like this is the heart of my heart. It is an attempt to take theology, to free theology, to liberate theology from the academy, mm-hmm. and see it happening on the streets. Mm-hmm. And not that I don't think that you know, our church fathers and our church mothers and our mystics, et cetera. I'm not saying those aren't important. I'm deeply invested in theory. Right. But if we don't figure out how to live out our theology and ethics on the street, mm. we, we will not do the very thing that I said in, in, in the beginning, which is achieve collective liberation. Right. So, yeah, so I started using this term activist theology. I call myself an activist theologian, and I started using this term – Many years ago, um, actually, Sharon Groves, Dr. Sharon Groves, yeah. 
gave me gave me this term back in 2010 2011 mm. and so i just sort of been using it like yes that's what i'm doing i'm doing activist theology i'm an activist theologian and so um i'm writing the book the manuscript is due december 1st mm. we started a kickstarter rebel and i started a kickstarter because i didn't believe in rebel contributing poetry to the book without her being compensated mm. and so rebel is is an activist theologian mm-hmm. in many respects. Mm-hmm. She is an on-the-ground organizer in St. Louis, has been on the ground in Ferguson, writes amazing poetry. Mm-hmm. And and I, you know, a, a year ago, I asked her, I said, hey, I'm, I am, look, I'm going to write this book. It just got contracted with F- Fortress. Would you contribute poetry? And she said, yeah. And I said, my commitment to you is to pay you for this. Mm. And so I figure out how to do this. Mm-hmm. So I, so that was like our terms of, of agreement from the very beginning. Mm. So we started this Kickstarter and we we're about 62% funded or backed by yeah. Kickstarter. Um, and the Kickstarter is called making activist theology. And, you know, we're really just asking folks to e- even pledge just $20 mm. um, to back it. Right. Mm. So, so that I can, really live into the values that I believe in of writing in deep community and having my work framed by community mm-hmm. in many respects, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so there's lots of perks over on the Kickstarter page from like signed books, where, which Rebel and I will do. Um, we, we'll sign the books, you know, it's t-shirts. So there's uh, curriculum that we're developing for the book. Mm-hmm. You can be listed as a contributor or a, and the acknowledgements as mm-hmm. a person who contributed, um, whatnot um rebel you know like there's another one where rebel and i will even come and like spend an evening with your community or your group yeah and um do like some activist theology and share some poetry yeah yeah neat Mm. yeah i'm definitely going to include links to to the kickstarter and everything uh with this podcast Uh, so of course yeah and i would encourage everyone to go and donate to that because it's it's such an important and needed project Well, it's also about black brown solidarity. Right. So, so, so if you don't know much about the history of black and brown folks, we have a hard, hard history. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so this is a type of modeling, a bridging even within our different race orientations. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, so it's really important to me. Uh, and the Kickstarter is like all or nothing. Like you even meet, you meet your goal or you don't get any of it. Right. right. So, um, I think we have about 49 or 48 days to go at this point on mm-hmm. June 13th and it ends on July 28th. And you know, yeah, I, I hope folks back it and Rebel and I are super excited to, to share this project with the world. And you know, the, the other thing about this is I am trying to model a different way of doing scholarship mm. mm-hmm. that, that is about liberating theology and ethics from the Academy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the Academy has co-opted, our, our theology and ethics, right? Absolutely. And, um, and has made it so unattainable to mm. people. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Thank you so much yeah. for joining us today. Yeah. Um, thank yeah, you. Yeah. Really, really appreciate it. And blessings to you. Thank you so Sorry. much. Yeah. You can find Dr. Robin's work at their website, uh, irobin.com, the letter I, Robin, sold with a Y R O B Y N.com. Their Twitter names and Instagram names are the same, at iRobin. Make sure you go check out 
their Kickstarter as well. It's incredible. Activist Theology. Uh, really, really excited about the project. I'll include links uh, in the blog post for this episode. Uh, you can also find it just by searching Kickstarter for Activist Theology. Go donate. There are plenty of days left. Queerology is on Twitter, at QueerologyPod, or you can tweet me directly, at Matthias Roberts. As always, I would love to hear from you, and I would love you to review Queerology if you're enjoying it. Don't review it if you're not. MatthiasRoberts.com slash review, or just head over to iTunes and review it there. Uh, And until next week, we'll see you later. Bye! Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.